As we open up Jeremiah 31 today, it occurs to me that this might be a nice point in our series to explain that our series word, covenant, is actually the word underneath our Old Testament and New Testament. Testamentum is simply how Jerome, the Latin translator of scripture, translated that word covenant. And so that's what these two halves of our Bible then were named for, thanks to Jerome. God's covenants that we've been looking at in this series frame these scriptures. It's funny, though, if you think about it, because as we've been discovering, God actually made several covenants with people through the Bible story, didn't he? Not just two. Uh, Do you recall we've seen a covenant with Adam? A covenant that God made with the remnant of creation after the flood in Noah's day? A covenant that God made with Abraham? A covenant that he made with Israel under Moses? And a covenant with David, where we left off last week? And there's been more that we haven't dropped in on. And yet, On the other hand, all those different covenants are all connected and flow on from each other. God is working to one beautiful plan of salvation, but it's just that the plan gets revealed in a little bit more detail with each covenant through time. And and ultimately, they're all going to find their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. So there's connection between all of these covenants in, in the singular scheme of what God is doing. And yet at the same time, there is a fundamental sense of something being old. And something being new in what God has now done. This scripture right in front of us in Jeremiah 31 captures that changeover from old and new. And it captures both the distinction, therefore, and yet the connection between them. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's obviously a distinction, isn't there? God is going to make a new covenant, and it won't be like the old covenant. We literally have here in the language of Jeremiah 31, the language of two covenants that are distinct from each other. And yet at the same time, they also have a very strong and clear connection because God is still making this covenant, this new covenant, with the same people, Israel and Judah, verse 31, who who broke the old covenant that God mentions here. It's with these same people that God is going to make this new covenant. And so we can't actually so easily and neatly detach the one from the other, can we? When, when both seem to be targeting the same objectives that God is still pursuing for the same people. Much less can we try to detach this new covenant that's coming here from the other covenants that God has been making through the course of history. He's specifically contrasting here this new covenant with just one of those old covenants that we've been looking at. He says explicitly, it won't be like the old covenant that he made with Israel under Moses when he led them out of Egypt in verse 32. And the point of difference, it would seem, the way that this new covenant that's coming is not going to be like that one particular old covenant Uh, made at Mount Sinai, the the reasons can be different is that that covenant was one that the people broke. And you might recall that from a few weeks back. While Moses was still receiving the details of the priestly duties uh, up on top of the mountain, the actual priest was down at the bottom making an idol for the people to worship. 
They broke that covenant from the very beginning. This promise through Jeremiah of of the new covenant that God will make with them comes quite a long while after that old covenant was broken at Mount Sinai. We've jumped over large swathes of history on this journey we've been on. We skipped over the time of the Israelites in the wilderness. We skipped over the conquest of Canaan and the time of the judges. And now, after after last time looking at the covenant with David for an eternal king, we've skipped over the time of the kings. To cut a long story short, the kingdom of Israel split from the start, more or less, into two rival kingdoms, Israel and Judah, as verse 31 puts it here. And after centuries of sin and and only really a few good kings in that whole time, the people are being disciplined by God. As this new promise comes here in Jeremiah 31, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been disciplined. They've already been carried off into exile by Assyria. They would not turn to God, and so he banished them from the land. And now, under Jeremiah's ministry, the southern kingdom of Judah is also under discipline, they are also in the process of being banished from the land and carried off into their own exile in Babylon. That's the context of this glorious promise here from God in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. It is being given to a people who are under severe discipline for their idolatry and rebellion against God. And so we learn an awful lot about God and his plans and his covenant heart in this text of Jeremiah 31. We learn an awful lot about God and his covenant heart here. I mean, what is God doing? What is God doing leaning in again to this people to make a new covenant with these sinful, rebellious people? What is he doing? Listen again to the whole premise of this new covenant that God is promising. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. That is, with the sinful and idolatrous people from the northern kingdom who rejected God and whom God has already sent away into exile a hundred or so years before this new promise, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That is to say, the other sinful and idolatrous people from the southern kingdom who who also rejected God and whom God is currently sending away into exile as he makes this new promise. I will make a new covenant with those people, God says. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God has been so betrayed by these two kingdoms, so hurt by them, like a faithful husband, as he says here, whom they have cheated on again and again by whoring after other gods. And yet, he leans back in with a new promise for them. Just think about that for a minute. What does this new covenant promise say about God's covenant heart. It'd be one thing if, if, if God made this new covenant, you know, with 
some new people group, wouldn't it? You know, forget these people and make a new covenant with another group of people. It'd be understandable if God just did away with Israel altogether and Judah and just started over somewhere else and with somebody else. But no, he so graciously still includes that old covenant nation. Despite their rejection of him, he's still going to fulfill all his plans for them. Israel are still precious to God, and so they still figure in his new covenant plans. Drop down and see verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And this is what he says. If this fixed order, you know, the order of the moon and the stars and the sun and the sea and the waves, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, they're not going to stop being a nation in front of him. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. In other words, he will never cast off all the offspring of Israel for everything that they have done. And so this new covenant will therefore serve the purposes of the old covenant too. Because through this new covenant, God will bring about what he had promised Israel in the past. He is not casting them aside. He is true to his word. And his covenant heart is as faithful as ever. But at the same time, the new covenant expands upon the old. It expands upon the old as we see God's covenant heart now in in this new promise in even wider detail than we might have first thought of it. Because in this, God will not just bless the old covenant people of Israel, but people from all the other nations too. If we stretch out our thinking a bit today, beyond this text right in front of us, right here, we would see elsewhere in Scripture that God opens this new covenant up for people of all nations. For example, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 49 verse 6, God says of the Saviour that's going to bring this promise in, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That's too light a thing for the Saviour to do in this new covenant. No, no, no. God says, I will make this Saviour as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so Israel will not be abandoned. No, more people need to be brought in to God's covenant plans. God's covenant heart is is still as rich and as generous as ever it was towards Israel. He's not like us that, that he should cast aside his promises to them. Rather, he's now showing us even more of just how generous his heart and his plans have always been. And in fact, this new covenant promise is not just you know the next of God's covenants. In a line. This is the ultimate covenant that God has always been working towards. 
Let's take a look at the detail of it in verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. There's a lot of similar language to the other covenants that we've been looking at, if you think about it. And so, some basically similar ideas in this new covenant. The idea of God's law, and the the idea that God should be our God, and, and we should be his people. Those things are not new to this covenant. And that shouldn't be a surprise. After all, this is, as I say, the one basic plan that God is pursuing. What is new with this new covenant promised here is that God will reshape his people to be capable of staying faithful to this covenant God. He will give his people a new covenant heart. A new covenant heart. First of all, this new covenant is going to put God's law in our hearts, verse 33. With hearts, I think, being the operative word there, such that we won't be reliant on you know, a written code or book that the people kept losing and forgetting, but such too that we'll actually desire to pursue God's law. Not just knowing it in our hearts, but, but having it in our hearts. A desire to pursue God's law. This new covenant heart that knows and, and desires God's law It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the making of us as new people that that other prophets like Ezekiel also foretold. In Ezekiel 36, 26, for example, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the new covenant heart that God puts into us by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God will make himself known to us and and known to each of us, verse 34. We will know him. There'll be no need for an an intermediary role of of like a Levitical priest or a teacher of the law or whatever for, for us to kind of know God. No, no need either to rely on a, on a covenant that was made with, you know, our, our long-distant forefathers. No, God will make himself known to each of his people. This too is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, who is God dwelling within us. Not only will we know and desire God's law, but we will know God in our heart. We will know God. He will be with us. And thirdly, this new covenant will reshape us because God will have dealt with our sin. Verse 34. God will have dealt with our sin. Fully and finally, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So far in all these covenants that we've been tracking along with through history, sin has been lurking in the background all the while, hasn't it? Always always there as the fundamental problem and the the reason for these covenants, but the reason too that we we just can't seem to keep these covenants. 
The problem hasn't been Israel all this time. The problem has been sin. But when God at last deals with our sin, a new covenant relationship will be possible between God and man. We truly will have a new covenant heart washed clean of all our sin. God gives us a new covenant heart. On those three counts, this covenant is new and it becomes uh, something uh, new, uh, real and new in us. God gives us a desire for obedience. God makes himself known to us personally and God pays for our sin so that forgiveness can now mark us forever. Three vital things given us by God in this new covenant heart. And this new covenant promised here in Jeremiah 31 is is the new covenant that was later brought to bear by Jesus. Jesus carried our sin onto the cross where, where the wrath of God against our sin was carried out on him and forgiveness became ours. And we celebrate that each week and we will do so again with communion in a moment, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And God willing, we'll come back and focus on it more next week in the series. But where our sin has been paid for, such that God's rightful justice against our sin has been carried out in full, notice the promise here in this covenant. God will remember our sin no more. You catch that? God will remember our sin no more. The old covenants were just shadows waiting for the glory of this, the the sin that was always in the way. Friends, it has now been dealt with in Jesus. The new covenant we're reading about here in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant is here. And a true relationship with God is now possible at long last. Little wonder then that the New Testament itself speaks of the old covenant with Israel as, as passing away. Something far better that, that fulfills all of the old has come now in Jesus. God has now brought these things to bear. And so you and I today stand on, on this side of that promise being fulfilled that the people in Jeremiah's time could only look forward to and long for and ache for. They came back from exile, by the way, and their hopes were high. They even uh, renewed covenant from their end towards God when they got there. And you can track that through in in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 10, and the people uh, renew their covenant pledges to God. But right away, I'm sorry to say their best efforts again failed, as we've seen all series. Nehemiah 13, it falls apart. Because that people's covenant in Nehemiah wasn't this new covenant that, that Jeremiah promised. That would only come much later in time, in Jesus. And we live much later than Jesus, my friends. And the promises of the new covenant are now open. And they're waiting for us to just step into and be swept up into. So we might consider again this new covenant promise here in Jeremiah 31 from our side of this and think about how we now fit in. So, you know, for example, would I look at my life and say that God has put a desire for his law in my heart? 
is fundamental to this new covenant is a heart that seeks for God's law. So if my heart is disinterested towards God's law, then then I should be very concerned. I mean, I don't want to sit outside God's covenant promises, do I? No. But if I was inside God's covenant promises, according to Jeremiah 31 here, he, he would have given me a new heart that desires to obey him. So I should check my heart very carefully as to where I stand, because, because the old heart is deceitful above all else, as, as even Jeremiah declares. But I have God's word, and so this is easy enough for me to do. I can easily check where my heart is by reading God's word. The Holy Spirit will be aligning my heart to God's law, and so if I meditate on Scripture, it will help reveal to me if I do in fact have this new heart that Jeremiah is promising. That's not to say that obedience to the law is, is always easy or straightforward. Of course it's not. But, but if my heart fundamentally desires to live in obedience to God, then, hey, I should be excited to see this covenant promise as mine. Jesus said in John chapter 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So would I then, on the second count, I guess, of this promise, would I say, if I looked at my life, you know, that I know God? If I know about right and wrong and and, and even keep God's law but don't know God, then then I'm really just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus was always clashing with. God doesn't just want cold religiosity from me. He wants me to know him. And he promises to be with me, in me. So do I find myself, I guess, you know, in in frequent discussions with God as as I pray through things on my heart in the day? Do I involve God in my plans? Do I ask him what he thinks about this or that or or what he would have me do? Do I speak with God and care about God and and what he thinks and involve him in my life? Is is there any relationship there at all or, or am I just blundering along by myself? Or worse, Am I still being blown this way and that by every, you know, shrewd and crafty teacher that comes along claiming to have something that, you know, I'm missing? Am I still being blown around? Am I drifting? Am I wandering? Am I just searching and looking for meaning? As Jesus said in John chapter 6, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Have I come to Jesus and put my trust in him? Then I should rejoice, and I should be sure that I have been taught right by Father God. Would I look then on this third count, I guess, and and look at my life and, and, and say that God has forgiven my sin? Would I say with confidence like this that God remembers my sin no more? 
It's pretty big words, aren't they? This this new covenant promise here in Jeremiah 31 gets pretty intense by the end of it there, doesn't it? That God has not only paid for my sin in Jesus' death, as we now understand this to be fulfilled, but that, that he even remembers the sin no more. That's intense. That's intense, isn't it? That God remembers my sin no more. Can I say that much? Have I understood that much yet? The sheer depth of God's promise to me in this new covenant pledge. Do I realize just how far Jesus' blood has has carried me and, and cleansed me in God's eyes? That our almighty God remembers my sin no more. I'm asking all these questions of me, but obviously you have to ask them of you. Because we all need to make sure that we're clear on on just exactly what God has promised us in Scripture. I mean, there's not some other religion hiding in the Bible, and nor is this one hidden from our view. This is the new covenant in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so this is what true faith looks like. We desire for God and his law, even though we are not perfected yet. We have him with us, helping us. We know him. And all the while we are forgiven. He says it himself. He forgives our iniquities. He remembers our sin no more. We need to check our hearts and check that this is the hope that we are beholden to, the hope of God's covenant in Scripture. You meet all kinds of people out there with with the old heart, people who've got all kinds of other ideas about what they're doing and what they're looking for in Jesus. And they might leave you feeling inadequate, as if you're some kind of lower class of, of believer. You might feel pressured about getting yourself right. You might feel pressured about getting yourself blessings. You might get pressured about getting yourself carefree. But we don't need self-help or self-glory or even to get ourselves right with God. We need God. We need God. We need to be drawn into the covenant promises of God who will forgive all our sin and dwell right within us and cause us to hunger and thirst for him. This is what he promises, and this is what he gives to the least of us as well as the greatest. And with all of our hope, therefore, resting on him who does all of this for us, we truly can be the people of God. And he will truly be our God. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Behold, The day has come. The day has come. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for the the privilege of reading your word to us in scripture and of this new covenant here that we read that you promised long ago through Jeremiah and, and as we see and will see in this series has now come to pass for us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts all the more widely to see this new covenant truth of this new covenant heart that you put in us. And we pray that you would all the more open up our hearts to receive this truth, that we would seek your law and live for you, that we would know you all the more and your spirit in us, and that you would uh, give us clear uh, freedom in our conscience, that our sin stands forgiven and remembered no more by you. Father, some of us still yet need to be drawn into this covenant. Others of us need to be shown it all the more and anew. Yet, these are your works, so we must hand them over to you. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.